Hey, Internet. My name's Holly Anderson. I'm the director of politics and news here at MTV News. And this is a special sultry edition of Stakes After Dark or SAD. I didn't come up with this acronym. Don't at me. We headed into tonight with the intent of talking about what we know and what we do not know after the first presidential debate of 2016. We sincerely believed, I think, that we might be able to answer those questions. This, in hindsight, was kind of dumb of us. I've been thinking a lot about Catholicism since the primaries got hot and heavy, about faith and good works. In order to cast your vote for the 2016 Republican nominee, you have to be willing to take a lot on faith. I'll fix this, says Trump. I alone can save you, says Trump. You stack this next to Hillary, who, look, set your politics aside for a second, although if you're a white nationalist, I think you might be happier subscribing to another podcast. We don't have much for you at the moment. But you stack the faith, the sheer volume of faith required to buy into the Trump agenda, into this gilded vessel that, for all we know, could be empty on the inside, next to the works of Hillary, those already accomplished and those laid out for the future. Call it the election of the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Or do what I do and think back to your Bible. It's James I keep returning to lately. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 17. This verse reminds us that faith of itself, if it does not have work, is dead. In verse 24, James says, See how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I can't get that out of my head lately. I wonder why. So, it's pushing midnight on the East Coast. It's just gotten dark out here on the West, and I am joined from Los Angeles to New York via many, many wires to my intrepid deputy editor, Julianne Ross, who is covering her first election. Hi, Julie. Hi, Holly. How's your stress level? You know, it's it's been better. Like you said, this is the first election I've been covering um, professionally, and so I've you know, I paid attention in the past, but I'm paying attention on a whole new level now. And, you know, even I think people who have probably covered a lot of elections in the past did not witness debates like what we saw tonight, I would guess. Yeah, this is my first election cycle as a journalist. I've worked on several campaigns before, uh, right up to the presidential level. But this is a new one for me, especially as, you know, a person who's very literal, I think perhaps to and beyond a fault. And I, I like to see facts and I like to see numbers and I like to see homework. And what's frustrating to me right now is we know now exactly what we knew five hours ago, uh, which is that this election is going to continue to be a one-sided argument. And that helps neither candidate, it helps neither party, and it helps none of the American people. You know, not only do we not get to know a major party's platform in any kind of meaningful detail, because all the guy's willing to say is trust me, but there are portions of Hillary's own platform that she should be challenged on, that should be up for, you know, robust debate. And all the pushback she's getting from her opponent is things like, you don't look presidential, you don't have the stamina. It's the electoral politics version of saying she runs like a girl. And we need more than this. It's interesting. Uh, A lot of media were sort of reporting on the different rubrics that Clinton and Trump were facing on their 
performance in the debate, you know, talking about how the expectations for Trump might have been so low that, you know, the barrier to considering this a successful performance for him was a lot easier to cross than it was for Clinton. Yeah, our own Autumn Marie Cox was talking about this a lot leading up to the debate, talking about, well, you know, Hillary can't win narrative wise if, you know, if she's tough on Trump, then she's shrill and presumptuous. And, you know, if she kind of defers to him or, or is polite to him, then, well, she's a shrinking violet and doesn't have the spine to be president. And like we just said, we didn't learn anything new tonight policy wise, which means that even in spite of our own best intentions, we're now reduced to doing what everybody else does all the time, which is analyzing body language and voices. And please note that in the next news cycle, nowhere will we hear if Trump's sniffle makes him unfit to serve. Uh, the matchup that I thought was most interesting in this particular area was Hillary versus her own mouth. Because as we all know, our girl is not any kind of an elite public speaker. Uh, a lifetime of public speaking has not made her better at it. She has to throw her shoulder into every sentence to muster a fraction of the gravitas a guy like Obama brings with ease. But where she really did excel tonight is in tilting her head and smiling benevolently and feeding Trump rope. The more he talked, the wobblier his sentence structures became, the more it looked like this was a debate with only two grown-ups speaking, and one of them was at the moderator's desk. Yeah, you could just see, even from early on, Trump taking the bait, and you could tell in you know, the facial expressions, they have that split screen where you can see the candidates listening while the other is talking. You could see his face sort of contorting in what looked like extreme frustration or rage at moments. She pushed his buttons and he took the bait. Yeah, this debate didn't so much go off the rails as exist entirely next to the rails. It was just careening off into a forest, you know, the entire time. We have not seen a train track in hours but the one thing that really stuck with me, apart from Trump saying that paying no federal income tax makes me smart, <laughs> the, the one uh, actual policy segment that they attempted to discuss that stuck with me was the race in America segment. And it was really indicative, I thought, of both candidates' overall strategies with Hillary taking an orbital view and talking about systemic racism that exists not just in police forces, but out here in the rest of the world. You know, she telescoped the lens back a little bit. And Trump kept hewing to discarded sensationalist strategies like stop and frisk. Obviously, neither of their statements were perfect. Um, I think with you know Hillary, you at, at least had an acknowledgement that implicit biases are, are real and can affect you know pretty much every aspect of society. I I can't remember for sure, but I don't think Trump ever said the phrase systemic racism. This goes back to what I was saying in the introduction that we are not given the latitude to be able to push Hillary where we should because, you know, she's kind of getting, and I'm not equating the two of them, but in the same way that Trump is being told he did okay personality-wise by not tripping over his dick, Hillary's policies don't have a yardstick on the other side that we can measure them against, you know? And this is a problem with the debate format that 
you know, they're given two minutes. And as our commentators, Anna Marie Cox and Jamil Smith were saying tonight, you know, they're saying, hey, solve racism in America. You have two minutes. That's a presidential debate. And Hillary, for example, went through her statement without mentioning police militarization, which is a huge issue. And it's something that I wish she talked more about. You know, she's she's done a lot of outreach to black communities. You know, she's spoken to a lot of different black interest groups. I would love to see her speak uh, more broadly on police militarization, which is a problem across the whole country and which is a problem for all different kinds of communities. You know, there are there are jumping off points in this debate where we could have gone from, you know, one logical policy endpoint to the next, but you can't do that when every single talking point is ending and screaming and interrupting. A lot of people argued in the primaries, you know, she had Bernie pushing her to the left and sort of, you know, holding her accountable in a way. Um, And you don't have that now. You know, Trump's Trump's metric for how he's doing being so low also, I mean, in some ways lowers her metric for who she has to be, you know. And while she is judged on a much harsher scale personally, she also has an opponent who's not pushing her to challenge um, her policy stances. Like, that's the thing. We need both. I I said at the beginning of the night that I miss Jeb Bush, and I do. I miss his aw shucksiness during the debates. But who I really wound up missing at the end of the night was Mitt Romney. Like, <laughs> I disagree with the dude's politics, but imagine how much easier our jobs would be, Julie. And imagine how much easier a choice voters would have if if the Republicans were running a guy like Jeb, if the Republicans were running a guy like Romney. Like, you know that you can disagree with their politics because you know what their politics are. Like, I just want to know what they are. And I feel like this entire country is walking into the voting booth in 40 something days with half the story. Like, that's incredibly dangerous, no matter if the side of the story that you're hearing is the side that you want to hear, or if it's the only thing that you don't want to hear, so you absolutely know you have to go with the other guy, this should be scary to voters on both sides of the aisle that we're only getting half the information at best. Yeah, so, and, you know, prior candidates, because they had actual policies and, you know, they presented actual proposals, they also had teams of people that they were going to work with. And you had some sense of what their administrations would actually look like. And you don't really have that now. Yeah, this is an important point. The, you know, the juxtaposition of having a team of advisors versus having a series of people you have to keep insisting have no involvement with the Kremlin. You know, uh, Trump returned to this line in that same Law and Order segment that he keeps taking with communities of color. He's telling black and Latino voters that they live in hell, and I'm quoting there. And this is disturbing for reasons that aren't even the obvious ones. The obvious ones are pretty bad. You know, the implication that people of color live entirely in poverty is not a great look. And I don't know who exactly Trump purports to win over in black communities by bragging that he made the president prove he's American. But try a thought experiment here with me, Julie, okay? Try taking that argument dispassionately, just for the length of this thought, and look at this with a little distance. We've had some real dumbasses as presidents in the yeehaw history of this country, and governing is a team sport. And in an ideal world, you want a smart president surrounded by a smart team of advisors, and you want many of them to disagree with him or her. There's nobody on Donald Trump's team right now 
with a month and change until the presidential election, who can get through to him a notion of how this kind of rhetoric actually plays to voters of color, or worse still, they don't realize it themselves, or they do and don't care, and this is the best he can do, staff-wise, and this guy's theoretically got to be able to build a cabinet? Yeah, I mean, the person that we know he's close to now, or a person he admires most right now, is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I know you have to be born in this country to be president. I'm actually not sure about the cabinet. Could Putin technically end up being in, you know, Trump's cabinet somewhere? He'd make a dope secretary of state. It's, you know, it's maybe a small thing, but it keeps sticking with me that as dangerous as this guy would be as president, he has the potential to surround himself with a staff that could do some real damage. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, we don't know right now because in each of Every time we hear him speak, he's not actually saying anything of substance. And that's a fear that has no end in sight. You know, there's nothing to suggest right now that we're going to get a second debate, let alone a third. There's no force, you know, from the RNC to his voter base, to his advisors that can push Trump to actually develop coherent proposals that actually work in the real world. And there's nothing to suggest that we're going to know any more in 40 something days than we do now. So, yeah, I mean, I want to believe that this debate changed things, but I don't know. <laughs> Julie, I have a plan. Leave New York, get a car. I'm going to walk to my car out here and I'm going to get in it. We're going to meet in the middle in Kansas City and we're going to see how much tequila they stock in Kansas. Can I take a nap first? Yeah, sure. See you soon. See ya. Thanks for sticking with us here on this late, late night. We'll be back at you on Friday with our normal episode. For MTV News, I'm Holly Anderson in Los Angeles with Julianne Ross in New York. 